calls us to make right decisions. We're not like robots that have no responsibility for pro... Better? Is that better? Yes. Okay, sorry. We're not like robots that have no responsibility for programmed behavior and responses. We can hear God's word. We can learn God's will. And we can decide to obey or disobey. Moses, in today's Old Testament reading, takes away all the doubt. He says, making the right decision isn't a difficult or impossible task. Saying yes to God's covenant promise and obeying his voice is a decision that can be made and is a reasonable choice made with mind, heart, and will. Now, while there are secrets of God that remain, like how do God's sovereignty and the gift of his free will to us operate together without one or the other being violated? It's a lot that's run through my mind this week. There is no answer to that. That is a mystery. Or the mystery of the relationship between the three persons in one God. We're never going to understand that fully. Never. It's a mystery. But there are mysteries that are no longer secret. They have been revealed to us. God opens to everyone the mystery of his truth in his word. And that word is available to us. God has brought his word to us, written and incarnate. The truth we hear today from Deuteronomy, to obey the voice of the Lord your God and to turn to the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, is possible because the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. The choice the decisions that need to be made is really about between choosing life and death, choosing blessing or cursing. The choice is between eternal life or eternal death. Salvation by the grace of God or condemnation by the righteousness of God. That's the choice. That's the decision that needs to be made. Now, on what basis is that decision made? On what evidence do we choose? Colossians gives us the answer. The hope laid up for us in heaven is the word of truth, the gospel, and it has come from God and it can be trusted. The word of the truth of the gospel centers in one person. Jesus Christ. One person. Jesus Christ. The gospel message doesn't center in a philosophy that can change with every wind of thought that comes around. In whatever age or season it is, philosophies change. It's not centered in a doctrine alone or in a religious system. It centers in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word of the truth of the gospel is the message of God's grace. God is willing and able to save all who will trust Jesus Christ as Lord 
as Savior. And believe me, folks, it isn't like some people think. I can believe him as Lord, but I don't want him as Savior. Or I can believe him as Savior, but I'm not sure about the Lord thing. Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, can't be separated. He is one, centered. We are saved by grace through faith, Scripture says. Faith in what? Saving faith involves the mind, the heart, and the will. With the mind, we reasonably understand the truth of the gospel. And with the heart, we know there is something more than us. We know in the secret part of ourselves, we do need saving. We know the emptiness, the yearning to be filled. We know that. When we exercise the gift of our free will, saying yes to his covenant promise, committing ourselves to Christ, salvation is complete. He won it for us. It's done. As he said on the cross, it is finished. Salvation is won. It's complete. Now, faith is not a mental assent to a body of doctrine, no matter how good it is. The doctrine doesn't have the power to save, no matter how true it is. Faith is not based on emotional responses to circumstances. Faith is one thing, commitment to Jesus Christ. Faith is God's divine persuasion through his word of truth. Faith is God-breathed and Christ-spoken. Let me say that again. Faith is God's divine persuasion through his word of truth. Faith is God-breathed and Christ-spoken. Saving faith is grounded in the gospel. It is the word of God that gives us assurance. And believe me, God wants us to be assured of our salvation. He didn't go to the cross. He didn't say it is finished and come down from that cross, raise, be, ascend into heaven for us to doubt whether or not salvation is real. It is. It is as we grow in maturity, in the meat of the word, that faith becomes steadfast, established, unshakable. We willingly and freely to choose to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. You see how that's one statement? We tend to forget and our neighbor as ourselves, don't we? We shall love the Lord our God, but we don't follow through and say, and our neighbor as ourselves. Faith, while on one side of the spectrum, is personal and individual. On the other, it cannot remain personal and individual or it will wither and die. God saves us. And his plan is that we are then used as faithful and loving vessels that he may save others. 
We're the laborers in the vineyard. We become the disciples of Christ, bringing forth his good fruit. The scripture says, the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. Faith comes through hearing God's word. Disciples of Christ learn to walk by faith and learn to work by faith. It is faith that gives power to prayer. And it is faith that is our shield from the enemy when we're doing that work. And it is through faith and the increase of faith that it is possible for us to love Christ and to love like Christ. Christian love is one very strong piece of evidence. It is a powerful witness of true salvation. It is not shallow and it is not surfacy. It doesn't just show itself when we are in someone's presence and it doesn't show itself only when our conscience is pricked. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Believers should be knit together in love so the glory of God is made known by the unity of the people bound together in a living, active hope that sustains and strengthens who are filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We need to love one another. We need to love our neighbor. Now, one of the steps towards fullness of life is gaining in spiritual intelligence. Growing in the will of God by knowing the word of God. As we grow in the knowledge of God, we'll also be growing in the grace of God. Our character being built up with integrity. Two words summarize the practicality of the Christian life. Walk and work. And the sequence is important. First comes wisdom, that spiritual intelligence. Then a walk that is visible and viable. Next comes work, whose motivation is ultimately and only bringing others to salvation, and then helping them grow up in the knowledge of God as we ourselves are maturing and growing. We cannot work for God unless we are walking with him. But we cannot walk with him if we're ignorant of his will. We must spend time daily in the revealed word, he gave it to us. He revealed it to us. We need to spend time daily in the revealed word and in prayer to discover and know God's will. So we are able to walk with him and work for him. If you don't spend the time, you're not going to get to know your God the way he wants you to know him. You're not going to be the person that he's created you to be.
It's revealed in the word of truth. It's revealed in scripture. It's revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. And you're not going to have that close, intimate relationship unless you are in the word daily. You can't come on a Sunday and get a little dollop of the word and go out and be what God wants you to be. It comes spending time daily. Working for him is just surrendering unto him. That he may work in us and produce the fruit of his grace. The proof of this we see in scripture. God spent 13 years preparing Joseph for his ministry. And he had to throw him in prison to do it. He spent 80 years preparing Moses to lead Israel. And he had to banish him to the wilderness to do it. Paul was set apart in Arabia being made for the ministry to the Gentiles. Had he not gone apart, been sent apart, we wouldn't have the epistles that we have today. And Jesus spent three years teaching his disciples how to bear fruit. You see, once we believe, Jesus, God, does not leave us to our own devices and desires. He, by the power of the Holy Spirit, works in us. And believe me, we are never a finished product. There is no graduation day with a walk down the aisle and the receiving of a diploma saying, you are now. We are not a finished product ever. Ever. God's wisdom reveals God's will. And when we, as we spend time with him, we do. We gain understanding. And as we go out to obey him, we learn even more. Becoming fruitful in all good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's how it works. Increasing in the knowledge of God strengthens us and empowers us. It weaves into the fabric of our lives patience, long-suffering, joy. And that patience is not a passive waiting for something to happen. It is the, the good fruit of patience produced is endurance in action. It's perseverance in running the race and not quitting because the course is too long or too hard or too or has too many obstacles. Patience has to do with circumstances. The long suffering that's talked about in Colossians has more to do with people. God is long suffering toward his people, scripture says, because of his love and grace. And as his people, we need to remember how he suffers long with us. And believe me, I can tell you, I've given him many days where he has had to suffer long with me. And we need to remember that he does. We need to remember that he does. 
Because then we too need to be long-suffering as we work with people. Long-suffering means self-restraint. It means expressing love and grace in the face of frustration, anger, disappointment, impatience. It is being merciful in less than ideal circumstances and in the presence of our own negative emotions. And we will have those negative emotions. But can we have victory over them? You bet. You bet. I'm not where I should be, but I can tell you from the time that I began the walk of faith, the journey of believing and having faith in Jesus Christ, to today, I am so different. So different. Am I today what I will be tomorrow? You know, No finished product, remember? I still have a long way to go. I don't meet this every single time. By nature, I am pretty impatient. And by nature, I don't necessarily suffer long or well. But God works it in me. God works it in me. And I find myself being patient. And there are times I walk away and say, whoa, what just happened here? But it was God, by his Holy Spirit, doing it in me. Only God's Holy Spirit working within us can give us joy in the midst of problem circumstances and problem people. With this joy, we have victory over defeat, disappointment, despair, fear, negative and critical thinking. As patience and long-suffering and joy are woven into the fabric of our lives, we cannot help but just fall on our knees and say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, because we know it doesn't come from us. It comes from Him. And it should humble us. It should drive us to our knees. That we may lift our hands, our hearts, our minds, our souls to praise him, to thank him for what he does for us. The more he works his will and way, the more humbled we should become. We should be humbled at his great work in us, for it is a great work. And we should be humbled at his great might evident in our lives. James says it this way. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. He has delivered us 
from the power of darkness and he ushers us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins so having said that what does the walk and the work of a Christian look like I just told you you want to tell me (laughs) no I'm going to let you off the hook We've just had a full lesson from Colossians, what the Christian walk and work looks like. It's disciples being filled. It is disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the word of truth, being filled with the love of God, being filled with the mercy of God, being filled with the righteousness of God. Disciples being filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? That we may walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with might and power, with all patience, long-suffering, joy, and giving thanks to the Father that does it in us. Now, in today's Gospel lesson of the Good Samaritan, Jesus speaks the word of the truth of the Gospel with undeniable clarity, giving evidence that the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. Jesus, when telling the story of the Good Samaritan, responds to a lawyer who is an expert in Old Testament law and very proud of it, but whose motive was, one, attempting to circumvent the law using a loophole, and two, at the same time, showing Jesus up as being deficient in knowing the law. The story Jesus tells the lawyer demonstrates the walk and work of a faithful disciple of Christ. The walk and work, you see, is based on faith, not on law, not on doctrine. A lawyer asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He is is asking Jesus, what is the essential requirement of the law? When you've ever taken a test, before the test, have you ever asked your professor or your teacher, what do I need to study? The essential thing I need to study? This is exactly what the lawyer is doing. What is the essential requirement of the law? Now, Jesus doesn't answer. Have you often noticed that Jesus very seldom ever answers a question? Yeah. He asks What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Now, being a knowledgeable lawyer, his answer is quick. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's how I envision him saying it, because he's saying it from rote. He's memorized it. He knows it. He knows the law. He's an expert. And so he's reciting it. But does it have any depth or meaning? Jesus says, 
You have answered rightly. Now go and do it. The word is very near you that you may do it. The lawyer, quick on his feet, doesn't seem to have a problem with the first part, but wanting to provide a case for not perfectly keeping the law, he seeks to justify himself and he asks Jesus, Who is my neighbor? It's a question we still ask today. I know I've had people ask me. I know I've asked the question. So it's a question that still gets asked today. The lawyer and we would like a handy little loophole as he questions, as he asks the question, to establish his point that keeping the law is not, is based on the neighbor being someone who is presentable. Someone who is worthy in some way. Someone who is lovable. In other words, our neighbor, loving our neighbor would cause no hardship to us. It would be easy to love them. This is where Jesus catches him off guard. By telling a story that demonstrates how two men, one a priest who is charged with holy living and teaching holy living, and a Levite who is an upstanding religious member of the community are calculated and narrow in their interpretation of the law, especially faced with someone in real need. The stranger was not worthy enough to them to be considered a neighbor. Therefore, they passed to the other side, ignoring what was in front of them and were, it was easy for them to do. And yet they would still say they perfectly keep the law. These two religious professionals were caught up in a lifeless religion. Lifeless. It had no life. Then someone who by all accounts is not in the Samaritan, he isn't like the priest or the Levite. He responds from a compassionate heart with real love in action and who fulfills the true intent of the law. Love your neighbor. Now Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? I can almost see the lawyer's reluctance to answer. I can hear the defeat in his voice when he does answer. Jesus had left him no out. No opportunity to use finesse and loophole to judge his own character or to defend himself as keeping the law perfectly. He answers, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus says, go and do likewise. In this story, Jesus is separating the person who has an authentic relationship with God and not just the appearance of it. The one who is merely religious and whose end goal is to inherit life rather than the other one who is seeking relationship with the one who won eternal life for us. 
The word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, you will do it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. A faithful disciple's walk and work is love in action because the word of truth is revealed and is not a mystery. It is near to us. Love God, love your neighbor. The two go together. God measures our love for him by how we love one another, how we love our neighbor. To the measure we love our neighbor is the measure with which we love God. Think about that one. I have long and hard. Long and hard. Our work is to turn to him and ask him, as it was in the psalm today, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. And the way I want us to end today is I want us to pray the prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians today. So will you pray with me? We, your sons and daughters, your disciples, O Lord, ask that we may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And say it with me. Amen.